expecting to be the person standing here in front of you. I am very happy to do so. Uh, it's a kind of bittersweet, though, because I know Pastor would love to be here, and not just Pastor, but also uh, Miss Sammy would love to be here as well, um, knowing that uh, I'm in the same position, similar position as Pastor Greg. Our wives play just as vital of a role in our lives, and I know that she would, be, she would love to be here as well, supporting her husband, seeing him. Proclaim to all of you the Christmas message that he had in store, but this morning, it's, uh, it's my turn, it's my opportunity. And so I want to, first off, uh, church, would you please give the, uh, the music a round of applause for helping us to focus our hearts today? Yes. And then also, would you please give Jason a round of applause? Every child that was up here was still, listened. They did a great job. So children and Jason, well done. I recently was involved. I'm the youth pastor here. If you don't know who I am, my name is Isaac Queen. I'm the youth pastor here. So uh, a small portion of what I do has to do with, you know, making sure that students know uh, that it's okay to have fun in the church. We teach a lot, we, we, we study a lot, but we also have a lot of fun doing different things. I was in the process this week of putting together Christmas Jeopardy. Um, we did something different on Wednesday, but I did find out through doing my, my Jeopardy study that, Chris, that candy canes were actually invented to keep children occupied during church services. Um, so, good call. They're, they're shaped in a, different, in a specific way for a specific reason, but the intention behind the candy cane was to keep children entertained. So, children, you guys are doing a great job. Also, parents, I know that we have many f- uh, fun Christmas festivities, traditions to get ready for. Maybe you've already done them. Maybe you're doing them as soon as we get done. Um, I don't want us to fly through this. I do want to keep it uh, concise, though. I don't want to shortchange you. I don't want to shortchange your time here spent serving God and worshiping God, but I do want us to be able to look at something, some things that are very concise. And sometimes the most concise way to understand, sometimes the, the best summaries of the things that we love and believe about Christmas are contained within songs. Now, if I took a, if I took a survey of your favorite Christmas songs, we would get a whole bunch of different uh, answers for different reasons, uh, for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, anybody, a Joy to the World, that's the, that's the favorite Christmas song, Joy to the World. You can, show, you can show your hands. We're not a Pentecostal church, but you can raise your hand. That's fine. Um, Silent Night. Fantastic. Oh, Holy Night. Wonderful. Now, I do want to also include the fact that every Christmas song is, at its core, about Christ. Because you cannot have a song about sleigh bells ringing. You cannot have a song about letting it snow without the foundational truth that Christ exists. He is, for no matter who we are, no matter where you come from, background, religious preference, whatever it may be, Christ is the foundation of all things. We'll see that here in just a little bit. But let's open it up to some of the, uh, the, the other traditional Christmas songs. Anybody, uh, Nat King Cole's the Christmas song? It's okay, you can just lift your hand up. That's my favorite non, non-church related Christmas song. Um, Let It Snow. We live in Oklahoma, so it's kind of hard. Let It Ice is more the, Let It Ice and Be Miserable is kind of more the, the vibe that we get. Um, the infamous song that comes on the radio immediately once Christmas music starts, All I Want for Christmas is You, Mariah Carey, the supposed queen of Christmas. Thank you. Nobody raised their hand. Thank you very much. 
Thank you very much. Um, we have all kinds of favorites, all kinds of favorites when it comes to music, because music is a way of being able to, again, concisely summarize all the things that we affirm, believe, and enjoy most about Christmas. Um, some of the traditions that you may have, uh, they may be very similar to, to each other, but each family is unique. Each family is unique in the way that they celebrate Christmas, and each family has their own expressions of what Christmas is, and music is a way to kind of hold on to the things that you treasure most. Um, sometimes uh, the songs are a little bit older. Uh, I don't want to skip this one. Uh, probably the, the most famous song um, for, for generations, Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Very nice. I heard recently that it's about to be surpassed by Miss Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. We must not let that happen. Please, do all that you can to make that not happen. Not that it's a bad song. But we want to, uh, these, these, music, these songs get embedded in our DNA, especially when it comes to Christmas time, because they remind us of the memories that we, that we, that we share throughout the years. Sometimes they're, they're tied to happy memories. Sometimes they're tied to really hard, hard memories. Sometimes they're a way of preserving for ourselves that even though life may be difficult, life may be um, honestly unbearable at times, Singing some of these songs, remembering some of these songs, like, Oh Holy Night. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That's my, that's my all-time favorite Christmas song. There's so much in that song. But th- this morning, I do want us to take some time to just briefly look at a, a new song, a new Christmas song, one, one of my recent favorites, even though it was never written and intended to be a Christmas song. It's called, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Written by... Uh, several people, uh, first and foremost, a man named Matt Boswell. You may know him, uh, maybe you haven't. Um, by the way, this is not a, a paid advertisement for the song. Um, you will not get a discount, a 10% discount, if you use our church initials and the date when you check out. It's not that kind of thing. Go check it out on YouTube. They would love to, to you, you will be blessed by, by listening to it. But Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery is a song that was birthed out of the desire of Matt and uh, a couple other people, one man named Michael and another man named Matt. Um, they, they together wanted to, to put together a song. They were in the process of producing an album for the Gospel Coalition, songs about the book of Luke, great songs if you ever want to go check those out as well. But as he was thinking about these songs with, uh, that he was producing with these other uh, individuals, and Lifeway was distributing a lot of the, uh, the, the music. If you know what Lifeway is, it's a very large Christian-based organization and ministry. As they were putting together a song, this, this chorus just kept running through his mind, and especially these first five words, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. He couldn't shake it. He, he, he contacted some of his, his, his friends who were musicians as well, and Matt and Michael and uh, other Matt, we're able to put together some of the most eloquently, um, eloquently phrased verses that are very modern hymn style. I'm, I'm very much a traditionalist in a lot of ways because I love hymns, um, H-Y-M-N-S. I love hymns because, again, they are a concise way of being able to affirm the things that the church has believed, and we're able to sing it together for, with, with other Christians Throughout the centuries, we sang one uh, just last week, um, And Can It Be, wonderful, wonderful song that's been sung for, for generations throughout church history. Amazing Grace, written by John Newton, uh, another man who, who was a foundational person in church history. And this one, I hope uh, at some point, either 
makes its way into the hall of Christian church history theology, and if it doesn't make it on the, on the global historical scale, maybe it'll affect you and your Christmas tradition this year. And so as we take our time this morning, our concise time this morning, I want us to kind of look at phrase by phrase what makes this song so, so enjoyable, so appealing. Um, so we'll have the, the words up on the screen, and uh, we'll be able to go through a few of them. The first one, the first verse, says, Come behold the wondrous mystery. In the dawning of the king, he, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. If, uh, Philippians chapter 2 is one of the first things that I think of when I think about just that phrase, just that, that first part of that, that first verse. Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Not as though it was completely and totally incomprehensible, but that it was not to be greedily clutched for his own sake and for his own benefit. In fact, to fulfill the Father's plan before the foundation of the world. This is what he chose to do, not because he was held ransom. Christ, the, the second person in the, in the Trinity, was not held ransom by his Father or by his debt to humanity because that did not exist. But we see here his willful emptying himself. Verse into verse 6. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men clothing himself in frail humanity. We are, uh, my, my wife and I, we, nine months ago, we celebrated the, the birth of our uh, third little girl. Um, her name is Charlotte, and she's kind of gotten to the point to where she's kind of relapsed into the newborn cycle, so if my eyes look a little droopy, uh, we were up kind of late last night with, with her. But to imagine, even with, with Isla this morning, probably have an even better picture, she's even younger. The idea that that's how Christ chose. That was the intended plan. Before the foundation of the world, God's plan was to demonstrate his glory and to invite us into the experience and the expression of that glory by sending the Messiah to be robed in frail humanity. In our longing and in our darkness, now the light of life has come. And look to Christ who condescended and took on flesh to ransom us. He came down to our level. John chapter 1. I'm going to move my, we're going to move kind of quickly through lots of scriptures today. But John chapter 1, very famous passage, echoes so clearly the foundation and the creation of the entire existence that we know, the, the physical reality. But John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not a single thing was made that was made. And in Him was life. And that life was the, what? The light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, why did the light need to come? John chapter 3. Verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but the people loved the darkness. 
earlier, later on in John chapter 1, it talks about how this light, who was God, is God, through him all things were made, came into his own creation. That the God of the universe robed himself in frail humanity, stepped into the created order, and you would think that there would have been a celebration of it. You would think there would have been this triumphal awaiting party, but the only thing that was awaiting him was poverty. The only thing awaiting him was threats upon his life. The only thing awaiting him was the religious elite using his standard, his law, to justify their own lives. And when the light came into the world, the world did not even recognize him. But still, he came. Verse 2. Come behold this wondrous mystery. He is the perfect son of man. In his living and in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Actually, I'm going to go back real quick to kind of connect the dots. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son. If you have already gone through some of your Christmas traditions, is anybody in here part of your Christmas tradition? Do you, do you read the birth narrative of the Christ out of Luke chapter 2? Anybody show of hands? Again? Let me see those hands. I know you're Baptists, so you're like, I don't want to. Um, but if you, if you have not read it yet this morning, I encourage you to go read it later on. And when you're reading it, keep this in mind. That the God of the universe, the Word who was in the beginning, who was God and is God, is communicating to you. Not through a mystical connection that you have through this spiritual oneness with the universe, but to open the pages of, whole, of the Holy Bible, to open the pages of Scripture, and to read them out loud, God is verbally speaking to you. Do not miss that. That's a wondrous mystery. Yes, we have messed up in many ways. You can, just in this Christmas season, just, in, just since December 1st, with all the hecticness and all the craziness of Christmas, how would you like for your attitude, motives, motivations, or actions to be on full display for all of us to enter into a room and view it on a large screen like a, like a movie theater. Just in this month, our frail humanity, our natural response in our frail humanity when we're encountering stress is to fight or flee. Christ entered this frail state. Christ entered as the perfect son of man, to communicate to us the fact that we can have access to him. He has communicated, God has communicated to us through the Son, whom God has appointed as the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God 
the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by his word of his power. Now look at chapter 2, what I mentioned a moment ago. Chapter 2, verse 14. Please, please keep this in mind. Keep this tension in mind this Christmas season that God, the creator of all things, who through Christ created all things, verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 2, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of these same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Verse 16, for surely it's not angels that he helps. He helps the offspring of Abraham. Father Abraham has many sons. Verse 17, therefore he had Not by some external pressure, but by the providence of his will. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that, why did he do it? Why did he enter the world? Why did he enter, see the true and better Adam come to save the hellbound man, Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law in him we stand? Why did he do this? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make sacrifice on behalf of the sinful people. That word is propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For this reason, God came to us. Emmanuel, God with us, not God with them, not God with those, God with us for his children. This goes back to John chapter 1. Everyone who believes in the name of Jesus, they have the right to be called children of God. This phrase, see the true and better Adam come to save the hellbound man, is found, it's anchored in the Old Testament. Adam is our, our great forefather. Many people want to say that it's through Eve, through her, her choice of eating the apple, that all sin has come into the world, when in reality, personally, Adam was standing right there. The husband, the, the man, is, was supposed to be the protector, supposed to be the one who would provide protection and oversight for his wife, and he simply stood by and let her be deceived. Because it says in Genesis chapter 3 that when she took and ate, she gave it to her husband Adam. And so in Adam, all people have fallen. In Adam, all people have a sin nature. In Adam, all kids want their presence immediately when they wake up. Sometimes in a not-so-nice way. How do we know this? Because Romans chapter 5 summarizes the Old Testament Adam as being the person through whom sin has entered the world. And through that sin has come judgment. And that judgment results itself in death. But the way that it is described in Romans chapter 5 that Paul describes for us the true and better Adam, physical Adam, great-great-great-great-granddaddy Adam, was just a shadow, a type of the one who would come and be far better. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death has spread to all men because all have sinned. We're going to skip down there to verse 15. But the free gift is not like the sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded for the many? The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Because when you think about it, you have sinned against a holy, perfect, righteous God. The sin is amplified by who it has been sinned against. And this God has every right, every right to tell Adam and to tell you and to tell me, you had your shot and you blew it. But for the sake and according, we read it just a second ago when Brother Dale started the service, Ephesians chapter 1, but according to the good counsel of his own will, he predestined us. Those who would call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved, become children of God, and be able to receive that which he's about to say. Verse, verse 16, the free gift that is not like the one man's sin, for the judgment following that one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many transgressions brings justification. That is a fancy word. I know that maybe Maybe you're in here, you're not sure what that means. It is made, being made right with God, not through what you have to offer. We were enslaved to the law. The law is a good thing, but we are slaves to it because in order to achieve the standard of righteousness that God so rightly deserves, you have to keep all of the law perfectly. That is a tremendous weight that none of you and none of me, none of, nobody in all of history has ever been able to bear up under. But for this sake, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might be the sacrificial lamb on behalf of his, on behalf of his children. He came as the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament spoke of. Verse 3, come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured and love untold. It started not at the birth of Jesus. It started in Genesis chapter 1 when the Lord began speaking. This, the days of creation. One of the many Christian doctrines that is under attack in many different ways. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you see the progression of what is being created. Everything created by the breath and the word of God. He says it, and it's made. Day six, after he makes all the wonderful animals, he begins to form 
Why does he do this? To the praise of his glorious grace. He did not have to. He begins to form Adam and breathe breath into him that he may share with this created, frail individual the glory of God. Not in the sense that we have any divine right or you have any divine nature within you, but the sense that we are made in the, to reflect the glory of our Father. And this is all people, not just for those, those who believe in Christianity. It's not a, well, you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe. That does not exist. Those who see the price of our redemption, they see the Father's plan unfold, receive grace that is unmeasurable and a love that has never been told. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In order to understand who the us is, you have to read the first two verses. To the elect exiles of the dispersion, to those who have already been called by the providential will of God, seen their sin, seen the, the, the cost of their own sin, what has been laid upon the sacrificial lamb of Jesus, have turned from their wicked ways and have surrendered all that they know of themselves to God. They have been caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven, sealed, never to be taken away. This is a wondrous mystery because how Exodus chapter 34 teaches, tells us that God is steadfast, loving. His mercy abounds from generation to generation, but by no means will he leave the guilty unpunished. How does this happen? How do these things fit? This is where the wonderfulness of the mystery of God comes in because no one could satisfy the standard of God's law except God himself, but you can't crucify spirit. God is spirit. So what does God do in the, in the, in the, in the majesty, in the providence of his own will? He chooses before anything has ever been formulated, anything has ever been physically manifested in, in our natural world, he has, a, he has chosen his son. And the son has chosen to follow the will of the father by confining himself, the cosmic creator confines himself to a virgin's womb. As the fulfillment of God's plan from eternity past. We get to enjoy that. We get to enjoy the imperishable, undefiled, unfading security knowing that God has accomplished his will. Verse four, we'll be done. Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death, the God of life, but no grave. 
No grave could ever restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance and how unwavering is our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ came. If we simply say that Christ came to die, we neglect his life. If he simply came to die, why not come as a fully developed individual, the same way that God created Adam, fully developed? To say that simply Christ came to die is to nullify the life that he had to be made like with us in respect to us so that he might live in fulfillment and under submission and obedience to God the Father. So that he might die the death you and I so rightly deserve. And the mysterious thing of all of this is that through confessing him as our Lord and Savior, we get to inherit the life that he so rightly has. God treated Jesus the way you and I deserve to be treated so that he would be glorified in treating us the way Jesus deserves to be treated. And it started in a manger. It started before the manger. It started in eternity past. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We we read this, Pastor read this at Miss Nancy's funeral. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Not a nursery verse. Nobody got that one. But in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable. They will be changed for this perishable body, this weak, frail humanity. Won't just be fixed, won't just be reassembled, will be completely transformed, completely changed. Why? Because the perishable, that which is easily afflicted by disease, sin, sickness, sadness, all these things, will put on the imperishable, the undefiled, the unfading promise of God, which is eternal life with him. When the perishable, verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that has been written, death is swallowed up in victory. If you're celebrating Christmas this year, having lost someone close to you that you love. It is not our place to determine were they a Christian, were they not. We cannot make that pronouncement. If they were, weep no more. The last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. If they were not a Christian, I beg you. Turn from your wicked ways. Be reconciled to God by surrendering your life and proclaiming Him as the Lord of your life and as a Savior before it's too late. 
But in all of this, oh, death, where is your victory? Or death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How? Why? Because in a manger 2,000 years ago, it was God's plan when the fullness of time had come that he would send his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, that he might bring many sons to glory. And this hope that the Christian has, the true Christian, when they read the life-giving words of, of God's own word, are able to stand confidently and say that Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. That hope is sustaining. Many people tomorrow will experience the greatest drop in enjoyment and pleasure and happiness because the Christmas season is over. Maybe you experience that because you tune into KMGL. They're no longer playing Christmas music. It's very abrupt. But many people will experience the crippling sadness and depression and loss of joy because the holiday season is gone. I'm here to tell you, not just because I've experienced it, but because it's what the Word of God says. In Christ, you have unending, unceasing joy. We talked this morning at breakfast. Molly asked, what's my favorite thing about Christmas? I thought for a minute, because there's so many things that I want to say, and I'm sure that if you're, if you're like me, if you're like maybe Jenny, and somebody asks you what's your favorite thing about something you really love and really enjoy, it gets overwhelming because you think of all the things. You don't want to leave anything out. And the Holy Spirit led me, not because he whispered mystically in my ears, but because it's the truth of Scripture. My favorite part of Christmas is the joy. The joy of my family. The joy of my church family. The joy of knowing that in Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. That in Christ we have sustaining joy for the rest of the 364 days until Christmas next year. That in Christ we have a hope that will sustain us far beyond this physical world and that one day when the foretaste of deliverance becomes reality for us, reality for me, reality for me and my wife, prayerfully for our children, prayerfully for you as well, we will be able to welcome the temporal sting of death as the true uniter of us with our Heavenly Father. I'll close by saying Merry Christmas. I hope that you don't miss why Christ came, why he robed himself in frail humanity. And maybe this song will be a good reminder. It's not just about one aspect of Christ's life. It's about everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to you and to you alone be the glory. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to stand here and to open your word and simply to let it speak. Lord, I pray that the truth of your word would be 
deeply ingrained and settled in the hearts of the individuals here. Thank you so much for us being able to do this. Thank you so much for the, the, the willingness of, any, of everyone who is here to, to not only join together and lead us in music, not only join together and um, lead, a, lead the children in a wonderful, wonderful story about the, the first Christmas, but to be able to be united in the joy of Christmas and understanding, Lord, that if there were no presents, if there was no tree, no lights, all of those things are simply add-ons. All of those things are simply extra. They do not hope that they do not take away from the true reason why we celebrate. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And the greatest gift that was ever given, the greatest gift that you could ever give was yourself. We thank you. We praise you for that. I pray that that blessing and that joy would be known in the hearts of these people. Let me pray. Amen.